I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm with here with Eric Oliver. Eric is a cost segregation expert with uh, Cost Segregation Authority. Um, and b- before we kind of dive in, I'm, we're gonna, sure we're gonna talk a lot about cost seg today, but uh, Eric, first I wanna say thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to, to come uh, share your knowledge with us. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jason. Yeah. And so let's let's just start with maybe telling us a little bit about your background. Uh, I think it's, it's clear what we'll spend the bulk of the time talking about, but I do want people to, you know, kind of know your story, um, your background, and then and then we'll dive in from there. Yeah. So um, so I got into let's see, I'll take you back all the way back to college. So going to college, I thought, you know, what do I want to go into? What do I want to be when I grow up? And um, at that point, I just wanted to get out of college. And so I, um, math always came easy to me. So my background is in accounting. Um, my degree is in accounting and um, lived and grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, moved out east for about 15 years to Richmond, Virginia, New York, and then wanted to head back to Salt Lake as my parents were getting older and um, came across this job. At the time, I didn't really understand or know what cost segregation was. I just knew that it had some um, accounting element to it and a business development element to it, which are two things that I had done in the past. And so looked into the company, started learning about cost segregation, um, started with this firm about seven years ago now and have loved it ever since. I've loved being able to go out and reach out to investors and CPA firms, um, learn about investing myself through going to the different seminars and have loved it ever since. Awesome. Awesome. So I guess let, let's just start with, you know, kind of some some high level basic questions that I'm sure listeners are going to have. But but how do you define cost segregation for someone who, you know, maybe, maybe they're just getting into their first properties? What do you how do you describe it to them so that they understand, you know, kind of in layman's terms? Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one with cost segregation. I try to explain to my kids all the time what I do for a living, and <laughs> I haven't been able to do it in seven years. They still don't know what I do, um, but I'll, I'll make another attempt at it. So really, cost segregation is just accelerated depreciation. So one of the benefits of owning real estate or investment properties is the ability to take these depreciation or these non-cash deductions against your income. So typically real estate is depreciated over 27 and a half years for residential properties and 39 years for commercial. So just to make the math easy, let's say you buy a $390,000 gas station, you're gonna get a $10,000 write-off or 1 39th of that deduction every year for the next 39 years. Um, So again, $390,000 gas station, you're gonna get a $10,000 write-off every year against your income. Now that's great. And that's, you know, I'll take a $10,000 write-off every year, but what if I could accelerate those deductions? I'm not going to own this gas station for 39 years, let alone even be alive maybe in 39 years. So let me take these deductions now versus the IRS holding on to them for 39 years. And kind of the way that's done is through an engineering-based study where we 
segregate the costs of that gas station. So we would come in and say, well, you didn't just buy the land and the walls. You also bought a bunch of countertops and a bunch of cabinets and some flooring and a parking lot and some fencing and some outdoor lighting and all these different components that make up a structure. We can segregate those and put them into different asset lives. So for example, flooring is typically depreciated over five years, not 39 years, which makes sense. Flooring doesn't last 39 years. Flooring only lasts around five years. So the IRS has established these class lives or these asset lives for all the different components. But what happens is when you and I buy these properties, we go give our closing statement to our CPA. Your CPA doesn't know the value of the flooring in that gas station. And so that's why you would have a cost segregation company come in and segregate those costs so that now your CPA has a revised uh, list and says, okay, of that $390,000 purchase price, 10,000 of it was for flooring, 50,000 of it was for a parking lot, um, you know, whatever the numbers may be. So accelerated depreciation on real estate by using that and, and segregating those assets into shorter categories. Okay, great. That, that I, I think that's a great <laughs> explanation <laughs> and, and makes a lot of sense. The, the, you know, kind of some of the things that I think there, there are a lot of probably questions that you get from um, investors and, and people, you know, sort of considering these cost segregation studies. And so I'll, I'll try to ask you some of them that, that come to mind yeah. for me, but also like feel feel free to kind of fill in the blanks. If there are certain things that you uh, hear commonly, I, I'm sure other people have that same question. So the, the first one I think is just, you know, you say if you do normal depreciation and just so people understand, like on paper, this, these are on paper losses. Like this, you, the value of your real estate is actually still going up. But on paper, this is for tax purposes, it's going down, in, meaning essentially just the materials involved are deteriorating over time. So um, with that, you have, so if you want to do it over with that commercial example, you want to do it over 39 years. Now, when you break it down into the cost segregation study, the way you explained it makes sense. Each each component has its own lifespan. However, what a lot of real estate investors kind of look at is, you know, sort of that bonus depreciation and in, in using it more than just like, it, you're not just, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not just dividing that flooring into five years and spreading it over five years. What we've been able to do here is is kind of push it all up into in the beginning. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got it right on. So back in 2017, 2018, with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that was uh, Donald Trump's tax overhaul um, back when he was president. And obviously, Trump is a real estate investor. And so the tax laws that came out of that uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act were very favorable to real estate investors. And one of those provisions that came out of that was um, they changed the way that bonus, bonus depreciation was treated. So in the past, prior to that provision, Bonus depreciation. Bonus depreciation is kind of a lever that the government uses to stimulate the economy. So if the economy is not doing well, they'll say, you know what, guys, we need you to go out and buy stuff. And in order to incentivize you to buy that stuff, we're going to let you depreciate that those items over a much faster schedule than what they typically are. So you get a bigger write-off. So you might go buy a truck, and instead of depreciating that truck over you know 15 years, you get to depreciate it over five years, or you get to take a portion of that upfront versus having to spread it out over 15. So at the time, back in 2017, 2018, bonus, the bonus rate was at 50%. And it only applied to assets that have a useful life of 20 years or less, 
and it had to be brand new assets. So I couldn't go out and buy a used truck. I had to go out and buy a brand new truck. And if I did, I would get to take 50% of the, the purchase price of that truck and write it off as an expense in the first year in the, in the form of depreciation versus spreading it out over the 15 years or whatever the useful life of a truck is. Um, so that was great. Bonus depreciation has been around. But when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act came, two major things changed. One is bonus percentage went from 50% at the time to 100%, which is massive. Mm -hmm. Second thing is, is, is that it no longer had had to be brand new to you, the taxpayer. So let me back up here for, and I'll give you an example. So, so in the past, I would have, have to build a brand new duplex, have a cost segregation study done. Because remember, a duplex normally gets depreciated over 27 and a half years. So that's over that 20-year threshold. But if I had a cost segregation study done and I had someone come in and say, in that duplex, that brand new duplex, you put in $10,000 of five-year flooring, I got to take 50% of that 10,000 or 5,000 and write it off in the first year, which was great. Bonus depreciation was great. But by changing that to 100%, now in that same example, if I identify that I've got $10,000 worth of flooring in my duplex, I get to write off or expense 100% of that in the first year. I don't have to spread it out over five years. I get to take 100% of it in the first year. So because of bonus depreciation, we typically, in our, in our cost segregation studies, we'll segregate somewhere around 30% of the assets into shorter lives. Those, those categories are usually five years, seven years, or 15 years. So if we're segregating those 30% into five, seven, and 15 years, you get to take all of that 30% and write it off in the first year. So just to give you some math on that, let's say you buy a, a duplex for a million two, and you determine that the land is worth 200,000 because land is non-depreciable. So we have to always back our land value out, but that would give us a million dollars of depreciable asset. Typically we're gonna find 30% of that million dollars and recategorize it into those shorter asset lives or 300,000. That 300,000, you don't have to spread those deductions out over five, seven or 15 years. You get to take all of that or 100% of that in the first year. So that's a massive versus on a, I actually have a calculator here. On a million-dollar asset, if we didn't get bonus, you would have a million dollars divided by 27.5 years. So you'd be getting a $36,000 deduction. But because of bonus, you're getting a $300,000 deduction. So you can yeah. see the power of bonus and how how it applies. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. This may be a, a weird question, but I know, I personally know a lot about cost segregation, using cost segregation in real estate. I have also heard that sort of reference to there are a certain set of vehicles that if they're over 6,000 pounds, you can uh, essentially use them similarly with uh, bonus depreciation. Is there anything else? Like, is there, are there more things on the list that can be, have cost segregation or, or, or are qualified for, for um, depreciation? Yeah, so a lot of things can be depreciated. A lot of um, business-related items can be depreciated. So the vehicle thing is kind of interesting because they look at commuter vehicles as non-depreciable. Like those are things like you and I drive. But if you were to buy a box truck, for example, for your business, mm -hmm. you may be able to take bonus depreciation on that if it's over a certain weight and, and those types of things. But in a business sense, almost everything that you buy can, one of two things, you either expense it or you have to capitalize it. And if you capitalize it, 
that means you have to take your depreciation over the useful life of that asset. But remember, if that asset bonus depreciation applies to anything, it doesn't just apply to real estate. Bonus depreciation applies to anything. So if I go buy a copier for our office, and normally that copier gets depreciated over five years, I get to take 100% of that deduction in the first year. So bonus depreciation doesn't apply to any depreciable asset, not just real estate. It's just that because of, of real estate, we can apply it and take bonus on our real estate if we do the segregation and break those components out. If you don't do the cost segregation study, you just have one big asset that's being depreciated over 27 and a half or 39 years. Right. Well, 27 and a half and 39 are not under that 20 year threshold. So you can't apply bonus percentage or bonus depreciation to that asset. We have to break it out into those five, seven and 15 year categories in order to apply the bonus. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So all of this started in, in 2017, you said with the tax cuts and jobs act. Now, before that, there was, you, you sort of explained it, you know, 50% bonus depreciation. And now this will be relevant to, to a lot of people are talking about this in the real estate world, but, you know, essentially this is the last year of 100% bonus depreciation per that uh, per that act. Now it, it's supposed to cut by, my understanding, 20% each year. So next year is 80, then 60. I don't know if it's going completely away. I actually am not sure you probably know, but do, if it was 50% before this all happened, is is that where we're going to, you know, sort of stop or how, what, what's the expectation? Yeah. No, that's a good question. So kind of the, the timeline that was laid out with that Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is any property that you placed into service between September 27th of 2017 and the end of this year, 1231 of 2022, is eligible for 100% bonus. Anything that goes into service in 2023 is eligible for 80% bonus. 2024, it goes down to 60. 2025, it goes down to 40. All the way until 2027, when it's zero. Now, I don't think it'll ever get to zero. Um, it's not. It's very rare that we've ever been at zero bonus percentage. There's actually talks in Congress right now with kind of the looming economy and things that are going to happen next year um, that they're talking about extending bonus to extending the 100% bonus into next year. Because remember, they're using it to, to stimulate the economy. They need people to go right. out, keep making these transactions, keep buying stuff. And so, um, you know, with kind of the, the recession that we've got on the horizon here, there's talks, um, serious talks about getting this extended for next year. So I'd be surprised if, I wouldn't be surprised if next year they extend the 100% bonus into 2023. Okay, well, that would make a lot of, uh, yeah. A lot of real estate investors very happy. Yes. Uh, um, so when, and, and obviously the, these two, your cost segregation study then goes to your CPA to, you know, sort of apply that to all of, of the, your tax returns and the K-1s and everything like that. Is that, is that something that your company also does, or is that, you know, sort of you work with whatever CPA is involved in that deal? How do you, how do you, mesh those two together? Sure. So we're kind of a unique accounting firm where we don't actually do tax returns here in our firm. Um, so we partner with CPAs across the country and investors across, across the country just doing cost segregation. So the idea is uh, a lot of CPAs will refer their real estate clients to our firm and say, hey, Eric, I've got a client who bought a new property. They have a tax liability. What do you think you can do in terms of deductions on this property? And so we'll send them a benefit analysis 
Um, and if the numbers make sense, they'll engage us to do the study. And then we work hand in hand with the CPA. So our reports are a little bit unique in the fact that we provide, because CPAs are our primary clients, we provide a lot of the tax forms and depreciation schedules that they would otherwise have to do themselves just because we know that it makes their life a lot easier. We have CPAs on our staff here. And so they're like, hey, if I was a CPA, I would want this form filled out. I would want this depreciation schedule. So our report, we, we would forward them our report and they can basically plug and play our report into their tax software. And that's how you, the investor, would realize those deductions. So we work hand in hand with your CPA. Excellent. How does construction tie into this? So, you know, you're, as you've explained, essentially a lot of what we've talked about so far is you buy a property, as you said, put it into service, and then essentially you just do that engineering study and segregate everything out. What about if we're doing, you know, a value add type multifamily deal and we have uh, a, a large amount of CapEx or construction budget that's going into it? How does that kind of, how do they go together or do they not go together? What, what's kind of your, your uh, take on that? Yeah, so that's a good, great question, Jason. So on improvements, improvements are are unique because improvements can be handled a number of different ways. Typically, in order to maximize your deductions, let's just use that multifamily as an example. So if I were to buy a multifamily building, knowing that I'm going to go into it and spend $200,000 remodeling it, when I buy that building, the day that I take ownership, it's technically in service because I have tenants that are in there, right? Now I might be I might be updating each unit as they turn and over the course of the next year and a half I'm going to spend my $200,000 updating it. But the day that I take ownership that building is in service. And so ideally what we would want to do is do a cost segregation the moment you take ownership. We're going to put a value to all the existing cabinets, countertops, flooring, all those different components that are in that building. Then when you come in and do your renovations, uh one of two things can happen. One, there's a safe harbor provision that anything under $2,500, you can automatically expense. So if I go in and replace the toilet, for example, and that toilet's a $500 toilet, I don't have to capitalize that toilet. I can actually write that off as an expense, which is best for you, the investor, because it doesn't get depreciated over any years. It just gets taken off in that first year. Anything that has to be capitalized, you would capitalize it at a later date so let me back up. So we're going to take the original cabinets, do a cost seg study, take all the depreciation on the original cabinets. Then when you rip those cabinets out and put in your new cabinets, you now get to start depreciating your new cabinets. So you're actually getting, you're able as an investor to depreciate two sets of cabinets versus that same example. If I were to buy a vacant apartment building that was all old and dilapidated, there was no tenants in there. And then I had to, and then I went in and spent my $200,000 to update it. In that scenario, it never was in service because I never had tenants in there. So I'd only get to depreciate my new set of cabinets, not the old ones that were purchased with the building. Does that make sense? So you want yeah. to, ideally, if you can do two cost seg studies, a cost seg study on your original purchase, and then sometimes, depending on the, the size and scope of the CapEx, you may or may not need a cost seg study. But if you do need a cost seg study, you would do it after all the improvements were completed. And now we're capturing the old cabinets as well as the new cabinets. Um, hopefully I didn't confuse anybody there. That makes sense. No, I, th I think it makes a lot of sense and, and uh, interesting information too for, for me personally, Ali. <laughs> I like knowing about this. Um, so 
you know, kind of continuing that example or that, you know, kind of line of thinking, you do that that initial cost segregation study sort of right after you buy it, right? And that so that you have, you know, as you said, it's in service. Do do they have to be subsequent years, or can you do that initial cost segregation study in year one, and then your if suppose your construction project takes three years, like can you then do the construction part of that cost segregation study in year three? How how does that does the timing impact it at all? No, so you would do the you would do your second cost segregation study once those improvements were complete on all the units. And so, yeah, you do your original one the year you buy it. And then if it takes you two or three years to do all the improvements, once those improvements are complete, you would then do the cost segregation study on those improvements. Now, depending on your tax situation, it may be worth it to do, let's say I do I buy a building in 2020, I finish half of my improvements in 2021. It might make sense to do and accelerate those deductions for 2021 if you needed the deductions, um, because those even though you've only done half the units, those units are in service. And so you can actually depreciate those in that 2021 year. You don't have to wait till everything's done. Um, it just depends on your tax situation. Some investors will wait till everything's done and do one study at the end. Other investors, if they need the write-off and they've spent that money in, in year two, they'll do those deductions in year, take those deductions in year two versus pushing them into a future year. So it kind of depends on your tax situation. And that's the nice thing about us partnering with your CPA is we can kind of strategize and say, hey, what is Jason's situation this year? You know, does he have a lot of income he's trying to offset or do we just push that stuff into next year? Um, there's some real flexibility and some uh, tax planning tools that can be used with cost segregation because cost segregation is probably one of the only deductions that I'm aware of that you can kind of pick and choose when you use it. You don't have to do a cost seg study the year you buy the building. If you don't have high income or you don't have uh, a need for any additional deduction, then you don't do cost seg. You do the cost seg the year that you have that high income. And so you kind of just keep it in your pocket and you say, okay, I bought it in 2020, but I didn't have a lot of income in 2020, but now it's 2022 and I'm having more income. Now I pull out my cost seg card, do the cost seg study in 2022 and take the deductions on the 2022 tax return. If so, that makes total sense. However, I guess if the 100% bonus depreciation is going away, if it does in fact go away at the end of this yeah. year, but you weren't quite done with your CapEx projects, might it then make sense to go ahead and do it this year so that you capture 100% and then whatever's left? Can, like, can you do a third step? cost segregation study? Yeah, it's all based on the in-service date of your improvements. So whenever those improvements go into service, so whether you decide to wait till the, the end of them being completed and then put them into service, you would need one or two studies. You would just do it at the end of the CapEx, but it all depends on when you place those into service. Now, interesting, when, you know, you mentioned bonus and kind of the timing on bonus, and let's just talk a little bit about that because a lot of people think, if I if I buy a building today, and I don't do a cost seg study till 2025, I'm still eligible for a 100% bonus. It's based on the date that your building goes into service, not the date you do the cost seg study. So even though okay. bonus, even though 100% bonus won't be around or may not be around in 2025, because I put my building into service today, I'm subject to the tax laws of today, not what the tax laws were in 2025. And so I can not do cost segregation in 22. I buy a building today. I don't need the additional deductions. So I'm not going to accelerate my depreciation this year. I'm just going to take that standard 139th 
And then all of a sudden, 2025, I have, maybe I sell a building and I've got a large capital gain that I need to offset. I can do the cost sake study in 2025, use those deductions to offset my capital gain and still get 100% bonus because my building went into service in 2022 before the end of the year. Okay, that's good. That's good information too. So, so people don't need to, you know, sort of panic to get this cost right. segregation study done by the end of this year, be, because it's it's essentially whenever that you do it, it's whatever the year of service was. So that that's right. a that's important information, I think, because I know, um, you know, I have, I know this from experience. I've heard people. I'm sure this is a question that you get a lot, but you know, oh, d does the cost segregation study have to be done by the end of the year? for that tax year. And I know the answer to that is no, but it, it's obviously also, you know, some of it has to do, I think, with people wanting to get K-1s out and stuff like that. So right. I'm sure it's crunch time for you as well as the CPAs. Yeah, we really don't have like for to use your cost sake study on your 2022 tax return. In theory, you have until next October, assuming you extend, right? right. We can do a cost sake study next September, get it done by October 15th, give it to you and you and your CPA can enter those numbers on your 2022 tax return. But yeah, depending on if you have other investors and you have to issue K-1s, you definitely want to get it done sooner. But in theory, you have all the way until next October to get your cost sake studies done for the 2022 tax year. Right, right. Okay, makes sense. Um, what about the size of the asset? So, uh, you know, you mentioned a duplex. For me, I'm generally thinking of this with our multifamily properties, but is there like a, I don't think there's a too big, but is there a too small where it's no longer a value to do a cost segregation study? You know, Jason, if you, if you would have asked me that question five years ago, I would have had a different answer. And the reason is because of that bonus depreciation. So bonus depreciation really opened up cost segregation to a whole wider array of investors. Before, bonus depreciation or before a hundred percent bonus cost segregation really was for your larger commercial projects. So anything over about 500,000 was worth doing because the benefit wasn't quite as big. It was still a nice benefit, but it wasn't as big as it is now. And the fees were a little bit higher with this bonus, with this bonus percentage um, or this bonus depreciation being at a hundred percent, we do everything now from $200,000 single family rentals all the way up to large ski resorts. So let's just look at that $200,000 single family rental as an example. Because of bonus depreciation on that $200,000 single family rental, we might create a $60,000 to $70,000 deduction. Well, if you're at a 30% tax bracket and you receive a $70,000 deduction, that's a $21,000 tax savings. Yeah. And our fee on that to do a study of that magnitude would probably be around $3,000. So to pay three to save 21, I would do that all day long. Now, before bonus, I don't know that I would pay three to save four because some of that has to get paid back when you sell the asset. But, um, you know, three to save 21, I'll take that all day long. So because of bonus, the smaller properties do make sense under the current tax law. If they do start to phase bonus out, I think we'll get back to a point where um, the, the benefit isn't as big as it has been. And so we might only start doing larger properties again at that point. But for the current time being, again, we do everything from single family rentals all the way up to large ski resorts and, you know, office complexes. So kind of a wide array there. You, you mentioned it and I know we definitely want to talk about it, but, um, you just kind of brought up, uh, depreciation recapture. So you, yeah. you said, oh, you're gonna have to pay some of that back. So 
Can you talk a little bit about what that is and, and how that works for people so they understand like, yes, it's amazing to get these giant tax write-offs in the beginning, but what does that mean later on, you know, when when we sell the asset? Sure. So kind of back to back to the beginning when I talked about cost segregation, one of the reasons we want to accelerate our depreciation is because obviously there's a time value of money element, right? A dollar today, um, I can take that and go invest it at 8% and make money on my money, right? So give me my deductions today instead of letting the IRS hold on to it. The second is kind of a hot topic, which is inflation, right? Again, a dollar today is way, worth way more than a dollar 39 years from now. So let me take my deductions today. Those are the two reasons why you want to front load it. Now, on the back end, when you sell that asset, when you sell any real estate, you pay two types of tax. You pay capital gains tax and you pay a depreciation recapture. Now, the depreciation recapture tax is based on the amount of depreciation you've taken. So I'm over here saying, take all your depreciation up front. And then people will push back and say, well, Eric, if I take all my depreciation up front, when I sell my asset, that just means I have a bigger tax bill when I sell it. And the answer is not really, because what we're doing is we're playing a rate arbitrage game where we're taking our deduction today at our ordinary income rate. So let's say I'm in a 35% federal rate and a 5%, excuse me, a 35% income bracket at the federal and 5% at the state. So I'm in a total of 40%. So I'm going to take my deduction against 40% tax bracket. I'm going to pay back a portion of it at a lower rate at a future date and save the spread. And that lower rate could be anywhere from zero up to 25%. But remember, I'm taking my deduction at 40%. Even if I pay it all back at 25%, I have a 15% spread that I just saved on my taxes. And I've had that money in my pocket for the last five years because I've owned my property for five years. I took that money and I went and bought another duplex or I went and paid down my debt or bought a boat or whatever it is I wanted to do with that cash. Having that cash is key. So when you sell an asset, let's just say I buy a building for a million dollars and I sell it five years later for two million. If I don't do cost segregation, when I go to sell that asset, I'm telling the government, I'm telling Uncle Sam that everything doubled in value and I want you to tax me on that, right? Bought it for a million, sold it for two million, five years later, everything is doubled in value. And they're going to tax me on all that gain. They're going to say, okay, well, you made a lot of money on that transaction. So we're going to tax you on it because everything doubled in value. Well, my walls doubled in value. My land doubled in value. But my dirty old nasty carpet in my building didn't double in value, right? Carpet is a five-year asset. What is my carpet worth after owning it for five years? What's the book value? Zero. Yeah. It's a five-year asset. I owned it for five years. It's fully depreciated down to zero. I shouldn't pay any gain on my carpet. Carpet doesn't go up in value. So because I've done a cost sake study and I've segregated my five, seven, and 15-year assets, if I've owned the building for five years, I pay no recapture, no capital gains on my five-year assets because they're worth zero. My carpet, I'm not selling my carpet today for more than I bought it for five years ago. And when you don't do a cost segregation study, that's what you unintentionally do is you sell your carpet because it's all lumped together in that building, right. that building that doubled in value. You're selling your carpet for more than you bought it for. So that's that's the other side of cost segregation is get your deductions up front, take advantage of time value of money, inflation, all yeah. those things. But then when you sell the asset, allocate your sales price to the right bucket, which lowers the amount of capital gains and recapture tax you pay upon sale. Yeah, that's uh, people should 
listen like investors should listen <laughs> to that twice because that's super yeah. important uh the way that you broke that down and the time value of money i think i don't know i always use this this is a very simplified analogy but essentially like people get real excited about getting a big tax return right when they file their taxes they're like yeah i got all this money back at the end of the year it's actually bad it means you loaned that money to the government for a year tax-free or uh, interest-free so you right. you got to do nothing with that money. So essentially, based on the things you touched on before, like inflation, you actually lost money uh, right. by doing that. So so realistically, though we don't like paying a tax bill, it, it's better than letting them have your money and not be able to do anything with it in the meantime. So there's right. that whole time value of money thing is something that that I think gets gets really lost. Um, and and being able to use the cost segregation study to your advantage with that is 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 huge right no you hit it on the head that's what i've heard a lot of investors or a lot of tax strategists will say you shouldn't pay any taxes until october 15th when your tax when your tax return is finally due so we all pay into the system throughout the year but then like you said they're holding on to that money they're investing our money interest free and then they might give us some of it back right if we paid in too much but you always want to pay in the least that you legally can so that it's better to write them a check in October and don't do it in April when your taxes are technically, your taxes technically aren't due until October 15th. Don't do it in April when you have to file. Right. If you can push that all the way out till October, take that money that you might have to pay him, go buy something, go reinvest it in something and then pull the money out in October. I mean, there's all kinds of strategies behind. You want to pay that as late as you can and um, you want to give them as little as you can so that you have the ability to take that cash flow and go make money on that cash. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Eric, let's let's switch gears. I, I these are I'm going to ask you the questions that I ask every guest, which are going to be sure. entirely unrelated to cost segregation. All so right. these are these are more you related than anything. So we'll, this okay. will be the part where we get to know you better. Um, first question I ask every guest uh, is related to the name of the show being "Know Your Why." So, what is your why? What kind of drives you uh, towards success uh, in your life? Yeah, you know, I think for me, it's just, um, that's a good question. I think in what I do now, I just think there's so much, cost segregation is so misunderstood. And so really my why is trying to save the average investor money that they normally would have to pay in taxes. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to investors and, and it's like, yeah, I just sent in a check to the IRS for $100,000. And I look at their depreciation schedule, I'm like, I could have saved you 80,000 of that. You didn't have to pay 80,000 of that 100,000. And so being able to bring cost segregation, you know, we heard, actually, I just got an, an alert on my phone here that they're talking about uh, Donald Trump's tax returns again. I think the Supreme Court said they're going to have to release it or something like along those lines. But we've all heard that Donald Trump doesn't pay a lot in taxes. And it's not because he's cheating the system, but the, 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 the tax code is written to incentivize what the government wants us to do. And so if you're buying real estate, they're going to incentivize you to go buy real estate because it creates jobs. It creates wealth. There's a number of reasons why they want you to go buy real estate, but not all of us have understood or have the, the means to be able to go hire top level tax attorneys and, and tax strategists. And so bringing cost segregation just to the average everyday investor um, really is is part of what my passion is and being able to see 
I get calls all the time. I mean, that's the best part of my job. Eric, I just got my taxes done. You just saved me 150,000 in taxes. I thought I was going to have to pay. Now I get to take that 150 that I've set aside to pay my taxes and I get to go invest it in a new property. Yep. And so being able to help the average investor is, is one of the things that I really love about my job. Yeah. Awesome. Um, tell us something about yourself that uh, isn't common knowledge, special skill, a hobby, anything to let people get to know you better. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know that I'm proud of it. Um, I'm pretty good at Fortnite just because I have a 14 year old son <laughs> and that's kind of our bonding. Actually, he would tell you I'm not very good at Fortnite, <laughs> but compared to his yeah. friend's dads, I'm pretty good at Fortnite. So there you, um, go. there you go. You don't, yeah, you don't have to beat the 14 year olds. <laughs> you don't, yeah, don't beat the 14 year olds. You got to beat the other dads. That's, that's the key. Right. When we play the other dads, I'm all over yeah. them. So there you go. There um, you go. That's yeah. So, someday, uh, I, I, maybe my son will play, but he's, he's still, he's three now. So, oh, I don't yeah. know. but uh, I don't know yes. that I would get him into it because it right. takes no, up all the time. But maybe we can avoid it. One of the good bonding experiences my son and I have. Yeah. I, uh, we, I play fantasy football and I, I think of, someday that'll be fun to play with my kids like create oh, yeah. you know maybe create a a league of of you know dads and then it's like yeah. okay we have teams <laughs> and we, we run them together and like it's almost like it was almost more fun before they know anything about football and they're like like right i watch football with my son and i'm like okay who who do we want to win and i and I, i'm i'm from boston i'm a huge patriots fan so i'm sure. like okay we want the guy guys in the blue jerseys and he's like i want the red jersey i'm like oh no no we can't do that you know so it's especially just, it's if it's tampa bay right right exactly right. that he cares he care he mostly cares about whatever the color of their uniform is right. at this point so it's like i gotta i gotta t tell them what's actually important but yeah it's that stuff that stuff's a blast um when and we'll put whatever you want in the show notes but when people hear this and they want to reach out uh just to connect or or specifically for cost segregation studies what, what's the best way to reach you Sure. So um, the best way to reach us is just through our website, uh, www.costsegauthority.com. Um, from that website, my contact information is all there. You can reach out to me directly. Um, we also have a button where you can request a free benefit analysis on any of your properties. So if you've got real estate and you're paying taxes and want us to run an analysis, we're happy to do that. Um, you can request that analysis from that website. So it's just www.costcost seg seg authority.com okay perfect yeah and we'll have that in the show notes as well perfect. um final question for you um and typically what i ask is and, and feel please feel free to answer it directly sure. as it is but typically what i ask is uh what is your advice for someone just kind of starting out in real estate um okay. and feel free to answer it as it is if you want to relate it to cost segregation that's fine too but uh sure. yeah t t however however you want to take that yeah, no, that's a great question. So I have two answers to that. One is just jump in and do it. Um, I stood kind of on the sidelines way too long. I wish I would have jumped in and got started sooner. Um, so you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall, but you got to get back up. Just jump in. That's how you're going to learn. And then the second thing would be um, surround yourself with experts. So I unfortunately am very stubborn and I learned the hard way that I'm not an expert at everything, right? I don't have the bandwidth. I can only be an expert in a certain amount of things. And so when it relates to cost segregation, find yourself a good CPA. They're going to cost you more money than doing it yourself on TurboTax. But I promise you, by having a good CPA who is a strategist, who understands real estate, you're going to save tenfold in what they're charging and they're worth every dollar. And so make sure that you surround yourself. You know, I'm not 
good at, at, um, at graphic design. So I, I can't be doing flyers because my flyers look like an eight-year-old did them, right? And so I, I know that I need to outsource that. I can't be good at property management. I don't have the time to, to manage the properties. And so find a good property manager, find a good marketing person, find, surround yourself. You're not, a, you can't be an expert in everything you do. So just find the experts and build a solid team. And, you know, it's going to cost you money to pay for those experts and their time and, and efforts and, and knowledge is worth it. But I promise you, it'll save you tenfold versus you trying to figure it out on your own or not doing it the way it should be done. Or so that's the only thing I would say is, you know, find a good CPA. They're worth everything they charge because you're going to save so much money on the back end versus you trying to do your own taxes through TurboTax or finding a CPA who doesn't specialize in real estate. Yeah. When you start to own a lot of real estate, it's very important to to pay for an expert and, and surround yourself with a good team. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I would add to that that you, hopefully your CPA is going to tell you that they don't, uh, they don't know what they're doing in, in terms of real estate accounting, but um, be sure to ask those questions if you're getting in yeah. there, because you, you really do. It's, it's true. It, it, I, personal experience. I mean, I, I thought I was going to have to pay this year and end up with actually a significant refund because of okay. my real estate investing in my real estate related CPA. So I, I was yeah. uh, <laughs> immediately <laughs> hit with how, how much it, and it's not that much more like it's not like it's it's more than maybe TurboTax or or uh H&R block, yeah, H &R block or, like the one that you yeah. can just go in and they do it instantly it is more than them but it's actually not dramatically more so no, it's uh is well worth well worth it and well worth the the cost of the cost segregation studies all of that stuff will save you so much more money in the long run absolutely um Eric, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate you taking the time and, and everything yeah. you shared. I, I I really truly think this was a um a, a great uh sort of easy to understand conversation on all the different aspects of of cost. I'm sure it's not every aspect of cost segregation, but 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 from an investor perspective, what what we need to know and and how we can use it to our advantage. So thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great. You've asked great questions. And uh, again, use this as a resource, guys. We don't bill by the hour. Um, if you have a tax question and it relates to real estate, I don't know anything about child tax credits or earned business income. So don't ask me that, but ask your CPA that. But if it's related to depreciation and real estate, feel free to use this as a resource. Um, that's what we're here for. So thanks again, Jason. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, uh, folks, when you hear this, um, I'm sure you'll you'll want to reach out to Eric, but, but uh, also please leave us uh, a review, like, like, rate, and review. That'll help us reach more people with our uh, podcast. All right, have a great day. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.